Welcome, everyone. Uh, my name is Max Perret, uh, and I am the host of the QI chat room. Uh, welcome today uh, on uh, day five of National Health Center Week. Uh, very exciting. So wishing you all a very happy uh, National Health Center Week. Uh, today, um, we have a very special uh, guest host, uh, Julie Wayne. Uh, but before I introduce Julie, uh, I just wanted to um, share a little bit about our podcast. Uh, this is um, uh, part of our QI chat room podcast series. Uh, our podcast is all about quality improvement, or QI in healthcare. And we bring you speakers uh, from our member health centers, uh, as well as outside health centers, county and federal agencies, healthcare plans, and partner organizations. Uh, our speakers uh, discuss various promising practices. They've identified uh, the latest data on specific health topics and engage in conversation with our live audience uh, regarding health policy uh, and a range of different health uh, topics. We've been hosting these chat rooms uh, since late 2018, uh, but in the fall of 2019, uh, we made the transition uh, to podcasts in order to reach a greater range of listeners, including our, our health centers, providers, as well as staff that cannot make regular meeting times. So thank you very much uh, for joining us today uh, in what I think is going to be a very exciting QI chat room uh, focused on CIE, uh, which is part of a three-part series. Uh, today, uh, we have a special guest host, uh, Julie Wang, who is the Director of Innovative Partnerships at Health Leads. Uh, in her role, uh, Julie has been working to support the sustainability and spread of cross-sector data sharing models nationwide. Prior to her role, uh, she served as Program Manager for DSRIP at Performance Logic, where she led client development and software implementation efforts for healthcare systems throughout New York State and in California in support of 1115 Medicaid waiver programs. She also served as the director of the Clinton Foundation's Economic Initiatives, uh, where she led the development and management of programs and partnerships geared towards supporting small businesses and new job creation within underserved communities with advisory and consulting support to build both operational capacity as well as opportunities for growth. Thank you so much, Julie, for joining us, and thank you to our live audience uh, for being with us here today. Julie? Thanks so much for the introduction, Max. It's a pleasure to be here. Good morning, everyone, and happy Friday. Uh, today, we're going to spend some time, as Max had mentioned, talking about CIEs. And as many of you know, several communities across the country are considering the implementation of CIEs, which is a model established by 211 San Diego to advance community health. One of the hallmarks of this model is a community center approach that lends itself to better community ownership and management around how the system is used. Now, what does that mean? Health leads alongside United Way Bay Area and Redwood Community Health Coalition has been exploring what it might look like to design and develop an equity anchored network inspired by this model. And I have the privilege of having Beth Johnson, Senior Consultant of Strategic Initiatives for San Diego 211, join me in this conversation to get her take on CIEs and where they could be headed along these lines. Welcome, Beth. Thank you, Julie. It's great to be here. Now, Beth, you've been with 211 San Diego for a number of years, but the fact of the matter is that you've been working on the marriage of cross-sector data and community impact for a while before that. Tell me, how did you 
come to 211 San Diego and, and, and how were you introduced to CIEs? Yeah, so um, I have a public health background and grew up in a household of family doctors and educators. And I always had an appreciation for the field of medicine, but would often hear stories from my parents about external circumstances that are affecting the health of their patients. And so I found myself um, more interested in the socioeconomic influencers affecting health and what my role could be in understanding and addressing those issues, which led me into public health. And so I eventually found myself in a project management role um, at an organization called Academy Health in Washington, D.C. Um, and around the time I started at Academy Health was around the time the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act and high tech passed. And so the hot topics of discussion around those around that time was electronic health records, um, electronic data sharing, privacy, security. And so a few years later, um, I served as the project manager for a learning collaborative funded by the Office of National Coordinator for Health Information Technology called the Community Health Peer Learning Program. And <clears throat> the CHP program focused on creating a peer learning network for communities that were trying to build data sharing infrastructure to address a population health challenge. And so while in that role, um, I was introduced to a lot of other community initiatives and national initiatives in this space. Um, one of our grantees was actually San Diego Health Connect, which is a San Diego's HIE. Um, and they were funded as one of our subject matter expert communities. Um, I was also introduced and became partners with Data Across Sectors for Health, which is a na another national initiative supporting community multi-sector data sharing. And they were the ones who introduced me to 201 San Diego. Um, and that's how I learned about the great work that they were doing with the CIE. Um, I attended their CIE summit in 2017 and I was hooked. Um, here was a community that had actually accomplished what we were funding other communities to do at the time. I loved the person-centered care approach, um, how they were using social determinants of health to build assessments on types and degree of need and Kind of the rest is history. I just, I really wanted to work more closely with communities. I had a great experience <clears throat> working nationally on the CHP program, and I really wanted to support the people on the ground actually providing coordinating services and influence or support, if I could, how they work together. Um, but I was craving more of that community interaction. So I um, also wanted to be in a unique position to share those lessons learned more broadly and help elevate profiles of communities that were innovating and trying new things, but that you don't really hear about, especially when you're working in the, the DC bubble. So yeah, that's kind of my, my journey there. <laughs> wow, thank you. Thank you for sharing. Um, I just kind of wanted to probe a little bit more about um, kind of in your history and in your work, I'm sure you saw tons of models. Um, I'm just wondering what, what really kind of made you a believer of the CIE and like there's a whole movement going on. What do you think it is that um, really kind of gets people excited and, and willing to really invest in, in really trying to make something happen like this in their communities? Yeah, well, <clears throat> I think um, because while at Academy Health, I was working on all things data sharing and collaboration. I was really like hooked into the science of collaboration. That's really what um, got me interested in continuing to pursue this work. I was immediately drawn to the shared governance approach 
um, that was championed by the CIE model, as well as their approach to building a, uh, a community-led infrastructure that enabled data sharing. Um, and so I think I've always been a believer of the CIE movement. I just didn't know what it was called yet. <laughs> so thinking back to um, what brought me here working at 211 and all of our wonderful partners in the national space, um, I feel like I was always preparing to be a part of this movement. It really gets to the heart of why I wanted to go into public health. Um, and I really wanted to be part of something dedicated to upholding person-centered care, um, addressing what is broken in systems of care, and identifying ways it can be fixed or redesigned and doing all of that in a truly collaborative way. That's great. Um, kind of in terms of things that are broken and need to be fixed, what do you think um, is the need that the CIE is filling? Like, how did, how did CIEs even start? Like, what, was, <laughs> what, what were people looking for? Yeah, so I think, um, as you mentioned earlier in your introduction, at its core, the CIE centers the community to support um, equity. And I think with respect to the CIE, we talk about turning away from reactive care and turning towards proactive, holistic, person-centered care. Um, so that means looking at everything in a community that can um, impact a person's health and ensuring that there is one place for a person to be connected to the resources or the services they need and reducing barriers and the burden on the individual um, and enabling efficient and quality care. I think from an individual perspective, um, we needed CIE infrastructure to really streamline access to care and resources. And from a social and human services provider standpoint, you know, CBOs are often under-resourced and may not always have the capacity to handle the volume of need at a given time. So um, engaging in information sharing and collaboration to build a better functioning system makes sense. Um, also, when I was at Academy Health, I think the whole idea of sharing information across sectors, um, the whole purpose behind it was to accelerate progress to address population health challenges. Um, that's why there was a, a big investment in this area at the time. And there was um, this appreciation for the fact that you don't just address health in the doctor's office. And if you're siloed in your approach to, dressing, to addressing health, um, uh, sorry, addressing health conditions in any given community, you will lose valuable time identifying a solution. Um, so I think there are so many social and economic factors influencing um, a person's health and well-being. Um, it makes sense to invest in solutions that enable collaboration across many sectors, um, and that can make a difference in population health overall. That makes total sense. Um, as we kind of look at who's been investing and, and getting really exciting, excited about CIEism, we see a lot of interest from healthcare and, and um, folks within the social care spaces. Um, why do you think that people are talking about that uh, within those particular sectors? And what do you think the value is that they're seeing or hoping for with CIEs? Yeah, I think it's because um, the CIE centers individuals who are uh, most in need of and impacted by services. Um, you know, the intent behind the CIE model is to drive equity, shared infrastructure, and uh, capacity building within communities. Um, and I think, uh, especially over, you know, the last couple of years, obviously, there's been more interest and in investment 
now in connecting social and health care um, because the pandemic really uncovered existing disparities that, I mean, you and I knew about and a lot of people that work on the ground knew about, but um, it really shed an even brighter light um, on those disparities for a lot of different stakeholders, um, as well as the connection between social needs and health. So I think um, that really sparked an interest and really a drive to invest more fully in this area. Yes, definitely. Um, so I know that most people, I'm sure most of our listeners are aware that there are, there are a lot of players in this space. It's not just a CIE. Um, and something that we, we've been talking about is, is this notion of the CIE approach versus the tech forward approach. Um, so when we think about the Unite Us's, the Healthify's, the NAPAL's of the world, the Anthropos of the world, um, where they are a technology, um, how would you distinguish the CIE solution from kind of uh, the approach that a lot of these folks are taking? And what's the benefit of, of going in the direction uh, or the approach that CIE is actually embracing? Yeah, I think... Um... I think the biggest thing is resiliency. I mean, there 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 are a number of uh, benefits from um, following a CIE model. And if you'll just indulge me for a minute, I have I think I have um, just a few off the top of my head that I think are worthwhile for for communities to consider. So, again, as we mentioned earlier, the CIE is community led and champions um, shared governance, um, and we. At 211 San Diego, we talk about the backbone organization really being embedded or meaningfully connected to the local infrastructure um, and actively having or actively building trust in the community as well as understanding the needs within the community. And that's not something that um, always a tech-led tech uh, tech approach um, necessarily has background in or can uh, really um, – do in a meaningful way. Um, and so uh, a CIE is not meant to serve one population or one type of need also, but has the ability to navigate and be responsive to all of the needs of the most vulnerable uh, populations, and as well as identify gaps and resources that can inform community planning. So there are um, data dashboards that can show um, the geographic distribution of different different uh, places of need, um, uh, where needs are being met, where there are gaps and resources. Um, it's also the CIE model is actually platform agnostic, so it meets partners where they are in terms of the maturity of the data sharing infrastructure. So, for example, with 201 San Diego um, and our CIE partners, we purposefully built um, and designed a system that could um, plug into any given uh, platform that a CBO was using. They didn't necessarily have to navigate away from a platform and relearn a whole new system. And that was by design um, to create efficiencies on their end because, you know, there's oftentimes limited bandwidth um, and there's not a whole lot of support to kind of abandon what you've <laughs> you know, abandon your current processes and have to navigate to new technology. Um, so that's kind of why we built it that way. And um, also solely focusing on the technology as well as 
selecting a technology solution that is driven by the vendor rather than designed by the community really um, significantly impacts the ability for the system to be responsive and adapt over time. So at the heart of the CIE is developing a system that is driven by the community for the community. That's great. And based off of that, um, I think that really kind of speaks a lot to kind of the value um, or the reason that people are really talking about this. So uh, the efficiency associated with um, not having to learn a new system, not having to learn a new process, uh, or, or not having to learn a brand new technology that they're not aware of or have never heard of before. Um, so I can see how like that is uh, a big win in terms of getting communities on board. So uh, it's, right. it's great to hear that um, there are models like that out there. Um, in the midst of COVID, um, in many ways, a lot of systems were pressure tested and the breakdowns and, and the infrastructure of where that were, that was already broken were kind of highlighted. Um, so when you think about CIE um, and you think about systems that are crisis resilient, um, what do you think should a crisis resilient system look like? as it pertains to community health and delivery of services? And then do you think CIE reflects that or elements of that? Yeah, so um, I think that's a really great question. Uh, a crisis resilient system, I think, navigates real time needs and um, that kind of functionality is built in CIE infrastructure. So. Um, the CIE navigates real-time needs through a longitudinal record that captures um, the 14 domains of social determinants of health for each individual. Um, it also allows providers to cross-refer to organiza organizations um, that specialize in the different needs that are being expressed by um, individuals who are calling into the system. Um, it lends to community planning in real time. So on the data sides of things, again, we can look across different neighborhoods and see uh, which have the most um, of a type of need or are in need of certain resources. It has um, an adaptable resource database that reflects changing information, which was crucial. Um, it has been crucial during the pandemic. For example, uh, we created a virtual space called Knowledge um, within 2 and one uh, uh, CIE San Diego. Um, and that allowed the sharing of up-to-date information specific to COVID-19 related services. So for example, hotel availability and testing sites. Um, and then the system allows for communication and collaboration across sectors. So communicate ongoing unmet needs and trends so partners can collectively organize and then shift um, needed services and adjust capaci capacity where they're seeing um, need in the community. Um, I think because we operate as a collective, there's more opportunity for um, underfunded CBOs to coordinate, um, resulting in more efficiencies and access to programs that meet the increased demand of services. And then um, one example of how the collaboration can work and lead to a more resilient system, um, there were many families early on in the pandemic um, in San Diego who were at risk of COVID or had high exposure um, or quarantine, couldn't leave to get basic items like food. And um, so in collaboration with multiple partners in the, our partner network, um, 
a shared resource was created to ensure delivery of foods, um, supporting quarantine measures in place, and uh, decreasing risk of exposure for those families. So each organization played a specific role, whether it be on-site food storage or supply of food boxes or transportation. And because we had that infrastructure in place, we were able to quickly mobilize and stand up that service. Um, and although the service was created as a result of the pandemic, we now have the infrastructure and that functionality existing in the in our CIE um, system, and it's not going away. So it's going to be here um, for future public health emergencies if needed. That's awesome. There's something that you said about collaboration that I think I wanted to kind of drill down on a little bit. Um, knowing that the CIE is meant to be community-centered, um, what have you seen? The CIE has been around for a while. What have you seen in terms of the network partners that are part of the CIE and their ability to collaborate with each other. Um, has it been supportive or even encouraging um, people to get out of their silos and actually start working together? Yeah, I think it has. And I think, um, you know, in my spot, I wasn't always able to see it because I worked on a lot of things national, but I think I, I really saw it in real time <laughs> during the response to the pandemic. Um, we were able to quickly mobilize going from you know, monthly partner meetings to meeting bi-weekly um, partners sharing kind of the types of calls that they were receiving or, um, you know, things that were changing on their end, they were able to communicate real in real time to each other. And I think that um, we had pretty good participation <clears throat> in, in the CIE system, but I think the pandemic further incentivized um, the partners that uh, weren't fully utilizing all the features of the system to, you know, really become even more engaged. Um, so in that sense, um, a really good thing came out of a crisis. Um, and we've been able to really show the partners that are in our network the, the value of um, participating in the system. That's so great. Um, it's, I, I think about kind of what's happened when we've seen the plethora of mutual aid programs show up, um, especially during this time, and, and the notion that uh, when we think about capacity, we often think about capacity as an individual organization and their ability to either serve or not serve. And so, you know, your example is just great in terms of how um, systems that actually can ha facilitate that kind of capacity sharing um, are incredibly powerful during these times. So um, it's really cool to see that um, some good things have come out of the past few yes. months. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so I want to kind of turn our attention away from the pandemic for a second. Um, although a lot of the uh, increased interest in this definitely have, has stemmed from the pandemic, um, we've also witnessed one of the largest cries for racial justice in recent history. Um, and so as we think about CIEs and the role that they might play moving forward, specifically along the lines of the racial justice movement, um, do you see a very specific role based off of, um, you know, where you th see things going for CIEs? Yeah, um, you know, this is a really important time in history where we're seeing people really push to see oppressive systems that were once overlooked to be not just acknowledged, but overhauled, deconstructed, and rebuilt. 
Um, I think at the national level, several organizations have been doing the important work of looking at data systems and systems of care and exploring, you know, where are we, where should we be going, what can we do differently at this juncture to right wrongs and embed systems of care that are preventive, not just reactive. Um, for CIE, kind of on a national front, um, with support from the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, we have the opportunity in partnership with Health Leads and um, our colleague, Dr. Rhea Boyd, um, to clarify CIE's role in this, in this space. So first, we made important clarifications with respect to what a CIE is. Um, it is a community-led and community-owned approach to addressing unmet needs. Um, using engagement of community voice and shared governance to drive the design of tools that facilitate the information sharing, including the technology platform. Um, so we've created a model that I think is essential for communities planning to build a CIE to walk through with partners. So at the outset, there's agreement on what a CIE is um, from the tenets of anti-racism and equity to the fundamental approaches of developing a uh, person-centered, community-led system that has um, impact on the individual, the organization, and the larger community, to then informing the design of the core components of the CIE. And then second, we've developed a landscape of six types of data system design. Um, it's our data equity framework um, that we've been sharing with CIE national members and communities across the country. It will be published soon, so be on the lookout for that. Um, communities can use this framework to identify what type of system they have in place currently and to develop goals and next steps for where they want to be. Um, and so the important thing to note about the framework is that um, it shows how each type of systems approach is uh, differentiated by how it centers on community. And we need to understand that every system or intervention has the ability to reduce harm, but it's the response to the harm that ultimately impacts um, the individual and community and has lasting effects. Um, so we identified um, six different uh, data system types. And I think the role that CIE National has been playing is um, convening communities across the country to kind of look at where they are, kind of acknowledge where they are in this space, and and um, identify actionable next steps to move towards more equity-empowered and liberatory models um, that support uh, community-named goals and also eliminate systemic barriers and seek justice um, for populations in need. That's super interesting, and that definitely feels very aligned with some of the the trajectory that obviously health leads would like to see things right. move. Um, so I, I think what's really interesting to me is that, you know, if you looked at CIEs and you looked at systems like this maybe two, three years ago, um, there was this whole notion of a longitudinal record, the ability and the privilege of data sharing. Um, what we're hearing more and more, and, and I think you alluded to this, was this notion of um, share the data but also do no harm. Mm -hmm. And... I'm wondering, as you think about that, if you think about the role of CIEs in really kind of um, upholding that commitment towards racial equity and racial justice, how do we better understand as a sector 
how to not do harm. Um, what types of voices should we be thinking about bringing in that currently aren't in these conversations today? Yeah, so I think that's a really great question. I think in terms of who's really needed at the table right now, that includes um, community members, number one. Um, I think their voices are often overlooked and, and kind of left out of the conversation. Um, and I'm saying this not just from the San Diego experience, but as, you know, talking with other communities across the country, I think there's been um, a struggle to how to meaningfully engage community voice um, in these ongoing discussions and in this planning and kind of uh, navigate that role a little bit. So I think, um, you know, that's one stakeholder that we really need to think about how to um, bring into the fold. Um, another is people that work um, in direct services, but, you know, are innovators and they think big and they're early champions willing to test the system. Um, I think those will be really key in, um, in engaging more, uh, more partner participation early on and really testing whether the system works. And also I think what's needed is um, more government and cities um, at the table to be willing to listen to the value of the CIE and what it brings um, to support infrastructure and to um, enable or at least encourage capacity building and, and participation um, through either funding opportunities or, or any type of uh, policy that could kind of support that. Um, I think that's really needed. Definitely. And, and I think you mentioned a pretty diverse set of different partners. It seems like there's a lot of work to be done in the sense that um, CIEs and, and systems like this um, really need to make a commitment towards really building out that evidence base. So there is that ability to show value or promise some value to all these different stakeholders. Um, I'm wondering in terms of like any and all of these partners that you're hoping that to get to the table, um, whether or not there's a strategy or some thoughts in terms of how we might start bringing them in, um, especially if, you know, CIEs may not be so familiar to them. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, you know, it's important to reflect on, you know, why they're not there in the first place. I think, um, you know, reasons for not being there may vary at, uh, from community to community. Um, I think from what we've heard from other communities that we've mentored in this space. Um, for community members, often they're overlooked or not invited in the first place, or if they are invited, um, the environment is not conducive to really nurturing their participation and input. So, um, you know, in the planning phase, when you're thinking about who to bring to the table, it's also important to think about what kind of an environment you're creating to um, to encourage uh, meaningful participation and input from every stakeholder. So you're not just hearing from kind of one sector or one type of organization. Um, I think for people who are in direct services as well as community members, there's um, often a tension between them wanting to be there, but also mindful of limited capacity due to time and resource constraints. So um, thinking about, um, there, there are actually a lot of 
communities that are creatively thinking about how to engage those folks. Um, and I think the fact that we've mostly moved to um, Zoom calls and, and video calls has actually freed up a, a little bit of, um, of, or enabled that a little uh, more so. But um, I think one of the things we really need to do is just better articulate the value and impact for different sectors, um, why they should be there in the beginning planning conversations when you're talking about, um, you know, what the CIE can bring to the community. We've been involved in a lot of, um, you know, kickoff, for lack of a better word, kind of kickoff meetings where uh, communities have organized um, workshops that are meant to be kind of planning workshops to bring the stakeholders uh, that they want to kind of influence the design and the direction of the CIE to the table and to talk about, you know, what the CIE is and um, kind of what populations these people serve, what needs they're, they're seeing. So making sure you bring all different sectors, or there's an opportunity to bring all different sectors to the table, including community voice, and in those early meetings, articulating the value and impact um, for those sectors and for the community, um, articulating shared opportunities for CIE San Diego. Um, we've identified um, as a part of our sustainability strategy opportunities for funding um, to support um, partner organizations participation in our network. Um, and so that's, you know, one opportunity that we can uh, leverage to, um, to kind of encourage more participation, um, and also uh, bringing stakeholders in around use cases. Um, so identifying, um, you know, the populations that they're serving, the services that they provide, and kind of doing um, a, kind of an, a capacity assessment or, or kind of a landscape um, of what resources are available in the community, what systems uh, partners are using, um, and, you know, how can we navigate and leverage what's already existing and come together and, and make it better. Great. Um, in terms of bringing all these folks to the table, um, when do you think uh, these folks should be brought in? I, we, we talk about community voice, we talk about a seat at the table. What are we talking about now when we talk about equity? Is it, are, are they leading the discussion? Um, you know, what, what, what do the dynamics need to look like to ensure the kind of engagement um, necessary for something like this to be successful? Yeah, so I think what we've seen on the ground and with other communities that we've mentored is bringing in people and the, bringing in various stakeholders in the very beginning stages um, really promotes success um, later on. So um, I think um, some of the most successful communities that we are still working with today have had the opportunity to um, just in planning stages, they would have these visioning meetings where they would bring all their uh, stakeholders together to talk about what is the vision for the CIE? What is the mission? And they would collectively um, you know, 
collaborate on what uh, what they wanted to see, how they wanted it to impact the community, how they wanted it to benefit individuals, their organization, the system of care. So I think um, I think oftentimes and historically, especially community voice has been brought in late or it's an afterthought. So to the extent possible, if you're in the planning stages, it's crucial to um, include community voice and um, in all the, the different sectors all together in the very beginning to kind of guide those, uh, that visioning process and also, um, you know, those early conversations around um, the goals for the CIE and the design. That's great. And I know that, you know, um, as I've actually observed in the sector, so much more focus on kind of ensuring that community engagement is represented. Um, one great thing that I've observed about CIEs is when you, you guys, when you talk about community engagement, um, this isn't about outreach. Um, it, it's very much embedded in the way that you think about shared governance, um, alignment, values creation, um, all on the outset. And I, I, I think that that um, definitely um, shows in terms of kind of the power of your network to date. Mm-hmm. Um, so one last question that I have along the lines of CIE is like, where, where, what's next for CIE? Where do CIEs have room to grow? Where should they be growing? Yeah, I think it goes back to um, what I alluded to earlier or talked about earlier, the um, the types of system design. So, you know, CIE San Diego was, you know, the first to, um, to build a CIE, but, you know, we acknowledge that we have room to grow and, you know, our system isn't perfect. So um, we are creating a space for communities to kind of talk about where they are um, in terms of their system design and um, what needs to happen to kind of get them more um, in line with uh, with an equity and liberatory model. Um, I think in terms of where CIEs have room to grow, um, creating sustainable infrastructure that supports participation of community-based organizations and community members is is crucial. Um, I think it's really lacking and we've had to think creatively about to about how to um, uh, nurture um, ongoing uh, participation um, you know of of partners that frankly have limited funding um, capacity building for CBOs um, we have been working on building a series of ongoing training on CIE utilization and adoption um, because, you know, you can build a system, but um, you really need to focus on also um, what's the plan for ongoing training to you and, and really assessing how providers are utilizing the system. You can, you can kind of vision how it will be utilized, and it's another thing to actually look at the system and say, how is it actually being used and, and what's missing? Um, and then there's, you know, community member engagement and participation, which we've talked about, um, including community members in the data narrative, um, talking to them about how data is used and interpreted from the CIE. Um, 
the community access to that data and the interpretation of the data. So I think there are there's a lot of opportunity. There are a lot of places to grow, but those are kind of the, the top areas for me. That's great. It's a whole host of things. <laughs> um, but it sounds like you guys are really busy. Yeah. Um, so kind of light a little bit here. Um, I do have one more question to you. Um, you know, and I really kind of want to emphasize that CIEs have been, the CIE has been around for quite a while, and I think there's some big wins associated with the fact that it is um, really well, well along the road towards sustainability. Um, if you could reflect back and think about things that were done or how things were done, unravel and redo things in a way that ultimately would be um, kind of more centered around equity. Mm -hmm. Do you have any thoughts in terms of things you might have done differently or things that you might have added earlier uh, in terms of the, uh, the build of your CIE? Yeah, I think um, we went through a lot of iterations in terms of what the technology looked like. And I think it's because very early on we, you know, um, we were kind of building a system, but not necessarily having all those stakeholders at the table early on, like, as I mentioned. So having that community voice in the beginning, um, I think would have been crucial. Um, I think over time we've evolved into evolved to become more intentional in our next steps and um, kind of enhancing the design of our system and making sure the right people are at the table um, influencing and informing our next steps along those lines. So we have been more intentional about having community members um, in our meetings and, and having work groups that engage um, community members so that going forward, as we um, continue to build out the CIE, that community voice is represented and our CIE is reflective of what community really needs and, um, you know, providing a quality service. That's great. So thank you, Beth. Um, I do want to um, ask for your final advice and any words of wisdom that you might have. Um, how can people learn more about CIEs? I mean, there's a lot of voices out there right now. Um, are there any speakers, authors, visionaries, articles you might be able to recommend in, to point people in the right direction in terms of really how to make this happen in a way that ultimately is community-centered? Yeah, absolutely. I think there are a, a few different um, channels for that. So on CIE San Diego's website, and I'll, and I'll make sure um, the audience has links to, to all these uh, websites, but we have a national CIE movement um, with links to resources, including the CIE Toolkit, which is a good primer or uh, foundational resource to introduce you to the different components of a CIE. Um, and then we also have, um, you know, different research and evaluation um, studies linked there. So um, that could be of interest to uh, people that are looking at, you know, what were the, what was the early return on investment? What kind of impacts did you see early on when you were, you know, um, piloting the CIE um, in San Diego? Um, there's a lot going on nationally, and um, 
one good way to, or a couple good ways to um, uh, stay abreast of everything that's going on. You know, we have a newsletter, Health Leads has a newsletter, um, Data Cross Sectors for Health is also a great initiative um, that, you, you know, their min- mission is to connect communities who are engaged in this multi-sector data sharing. Um, they have a freely available all-in learning network that you can sign up for and participate in conversations. So that's a really good way to kind of stay engaged in conversation. Um, We always invite people to become um, national CIE members and engage in conversations with us. Um, We hold webinars and just bring communities together who are actively planning um, CIEs in terms of resources. American Healthcare Paradox um, by Elizabeth Bradley and Lauren Taylor is a really great book talking about division in health and social services and its effect on um, health and healthcare spending in the U.S. Um, Design Justice by Sasha Costanza Chuck um, uh, talks about community-led practices and design. And then um, two authors that will actually be speaking at our upcoming summit, Ben Robel and Meg Massey. Um, recently published Letting Go, and that's about participatory funding um, and shifting decision-making power over investing to um, impacted communities. Um, uh, A lot of these speakers have either, or a lot of these authors have either spoken at our past summit or will be speaking at our upcoming summit um, September 8th through 10th. So we'll make sure we share that link with you guys so um, you can, you know, keep abreast of all the great speakers that we'll have there. Um, and also we act, we recently had a, a public webinar on rethinking systems design and a lot of really great resources were included there too. So I'll make sure to share the link to the archive recording. Um, I think communities would find that to be really helpful. Thanks for all those resources. Um, it's good to hear that there is a plethora of, of people to go to who are all thinking the same way about things. Um, so thank you for that. Um, I'm going to just take a pause now and actually kind of open it up to questions. Um, we do have one question um, for you. Uh, the question is, what critique have partners offered or shared about CIE? What's not working and needs to be addressed? So um, I think I'll, from what I've heard from the local team, and again, I'm, I'm more so on the national level, but for San Diego local, I think um, a lot of the feedback has been around um, the functional functionality and kind of the the um, the the process for onboarding. I know there's been a lot of feedback on that and how to kind of streamline that and make that better. Um, so. Um, I think the partners have been really great in providing very helpful feedback to um, ensure that we're constantly moving in a direction that's more inclusive of the voices that need to be uh, at the table. So there have been suggestions of different types of work groups um, to start um, thinking about uh, the use of data, for example, or thinking more about uh, policy. Um, as well as um, suggestions on just 
how to um, make the system function, um, you know, features that they'd like to see in the CIE. And we, we do have a feedback loop, so we're constantly, um, we're constantly checking in with our partners with respect to what improvements they would like to see made in the system and also operationally. That's great. Um, a follow-on question on that is, can you, could you talk a little bit more about what these working groups look like um, and ultimately how effective they have been in terms of potentially kind of getting a little bit closer to the value that partners need to see and to get fully engaged? Yeah, so <clears throat> there's been um, a work group on um, that focuses on homeless um, as well as um, one that I've been a part of is a veterans work group. Um, and I think what they really talk about are the needs of the population, making sure that um, the partner, the all the uh, right organizations are included in the partner network. So they can shed light on if we're missing um, any resources or participation from any given group. Um, they can kind of shed light on unique client needs. Um, that's particularly true of the, of the veterans work group. Um, and so we've been able to, um, to talk to our veteran providers about, you know, are there other, um, are there other systems that should be in place or, or other, um, partners that we should bring into the fold to make sure that we are capturing the clients that need the most help. That's great. Um, and then as you think about kind of the needs that are coming up um, or emerging as a result of the pandemic and the economic uh, situation that's going on, um, what are you seeing out there in terms of partner asks for the CIE? Um, so you've spoken about homelessness. I mean, are there other kind of targeted issues that seem to be popping up in terms of the social services side um, wanting some additional support from something like a CIE? So I think, I think again, um, because of the role we played during the pandemic and, um, you know, we were activated by the county to do quite a bit and be responsive, um, um, both with respect to providing information on the testing sites and things like that. I think, I think the situation with the pandemic was we, um, we were thankful to have the infrastructure in place to to kind of fall back on. I think um, I think things were happening so quickly that it was we had um, our partners just providing ideas of what would be useful to uh, to enact in the moment. So one I think I mentioned earlier was um, our our knowledge uh, feature that enabled. Um, better real-time um, correspondence that was captured within the CIE, but um, providers could connect with each other more more easily within the CIE system. We've created um, portals that they can access so that they can kind of see uh, and have access to our, um, our data dashboards so that they can see which demographics are uh, of... Um, populations are being served, um, what are the needs that are rising to the top, 
um, we saw one of the really big needs was in nutrition, um, and we were able to um, communicate to partners kind of how that was trending and how those needs and were changing over time and, and what resources were available. Great, great. Well, we look forward to seeing more from CIE and um, and seeing how it continues to evolve. Uh, I know that we are kind of at the almost at the top of the of the hour. So thank you, Beth, for your time. I'm actually going to turn it back over to Max. Thank you. Well, thank you very much, Julie, and um, thank you uh, to uh, Beth and, and to everyone who participated today. Um, I thought that this was a very rich discussion um, about all things uh, CIE uh, and the CIE approach uh, as a successful model. So thank you very much for, for joining us. Uh, as mentioned um, at the top of the hour, uh, this is a first part of a three-part series. Thank you for joining the QI Chatroom podcast. We appreciate you, our listeners, for joining us today. If you have suggested future topics, please email mperrey at rchc.net. And please follow us, the Redwood Community Health Coalition, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Goodbye for now. Till next time on the QI Chatroom.